0: You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. I think I've told this story before, but there's a text in uh, the Soto Zen world called Zui Monkey translates as a record of things heard. And I I like telling the backstory of it. Forgive me if I've done this before, but there's another text called Hokyoki. When Dogen died, they found it in his uh, belongings, and it was his recollections of things that his teacher in China had said. Then... When Dogen's student, uh, Koen Ejo, passed away, in his belongings, they found his record of all the things that he had overheard Dogen say. Uh, To my knowledge, uh, Koen Ejo's student didn't do the same thing, but it's kind of wonderful. You're spending a lifetime, years at least, with someone and... You're running back to your room every once in a while and writing down this, this thing. Maybe it was something said directly to you. Maybe it was something that was said to someone else, and you happened to be there at that moment. But it's it's captured little snippets. And Dogan's is even the one that Dogan recorded is even more um, broken apart. So there are long parts and then there are very short bits. Zui Monkey is a bit more consistent. It's it's uh, but it covers a lot of ground. I don't remember how many parts there are. It's it's uh, it's a lot. And when I was at the monastery, we would read them every day, so we just would cycle through them. We had a tea um, period every morning where tea was served very formally, and at the end, someone would would read the next section aloud, and usually that was all. Every once in a while, someone who was senior in the room would would have a comment on it, or they'd say, oh, this is relevant to this. But mostly it just kind of, it kind of hung in the air. And then, you know, a hundred days later, we'd hear the same one again. So I, I opened it up, and I thought I would share with you the, the first one. I'll, I'll read. One day Dogen said, in the Zoku Koso-den, which is the continued biographies of eminent monks, there's a story about a monk in the assembly of a certain Zen master. The monk worshipped a golden image of the Buddha, as well as the relics of the Buddha. Now, the, the relics are, there's a, an idea that parts of the Buddha's body were kept and put in these little boxes or in these stupas. And... Uh, if you go to Asia, what you you see these white stupas everywhere. Uh, and, and you can expand your mind just a tiny bit when you, you know, if you get into the mythology of it and think, well, the Buddha was supposed to be 16 feet tall and you know. But at some point, there are too many stupas. <laughs> uh, but still, these things, they, they, they're they're popular even today. So the monk worshipped a golden image of the Buddha as well as the relics of the Buddha. Even in the dormitory, he constantly burned incense and prostrated himself before them, honoring and making offerings. One day, the master said to the monk, the image and relics of the Buddha which you worship will eventually be harmful to you. But the monk was not convinced. The master continued, this is the doing of the demon Papias. Throw them away right now. This is a demon who's... uh, uh, purpose is to cause hindrances to, to people along the, the path. That's, that's his job. I assume his. <laughs> As the monk was leaving in anger, the master shouted after him, Open the box and look inside. Although angry, the monk opened up the box. He found a poisonous snake lying coiled up inside. As I think about this story, the images and relics of the Buddha should be revered since they are the forms and bones left by the Tathagata. Nevertheless, it is a false view to think that you will be able to gain enlightenment only through worshiping them. Such a view will cause you to become possessed by the demon and the poisonous snake. Since the merit of the Buddha's teaching does not change, reverence of images and relics will certainly bring blessings to human and heavenly beings equal to paying reverence to the living Buddha. In general, it is true that if you revere and make offerings to the world of the three treasures, your faults will disappear and you will gain merit. The karma that leads you to the evil realms will be removed and you will be reborn in the realms of human and heavenly beings. However, it is a mistaken view to expect to gain enlightenment of the Dharma in this way. Since being the Buddha's child is following the Buddha's teachings and reaching Buddhahood directly, we must devote ourselves to following the teaching and put all our efforts into the practice of the way. The true practice, which is in accordance with the teaching, is nothing but shikantaza, which is the essence of the life in this monastery today. Think this over deeply. Okay. So first we have this story. It's great, right? Right. We have this monk a little too pious, a little too carried away, getting into the whole uh, developing maybe what seems like an unhealthy relationship to these objects. And the master says, you, you need to rethink this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And the monk ignores him, and so the teacher says, Open the box. There's a snake. It's good. what do we learn from this this is because i think not so much because of the story but i think because it's the first part of this text it's a story that comes up a lot because anytime anyone who decides to read zui monkey is going to it you know no matter how much they like or dislike the text they're going to get to this one so it it shows up over and over and that means that a lot of people have an interpretation of this and, and a lot of people will speak to this in terms of what is said at the end. He says, Since being the Buddha's child is following the Buddha's teachings and reaching Buddhahood directly, we must devote ourselves to following the teaching and put all our efforts into the practice of the way. The true practice, which is in accordance with the teachings, is nothing but shikantaza. Shikantaza which is the essence of the life in this monastery today. So this is used as evidence that Dogen wanted us to just sit, right? And then the moral of the story is that this monk who was feeling this devotion and expressing this devotion to the Buddha and to the Buddha's relics was mistaken because his efforts were misdirected. What he should have been doing is sitting, right? He misunderstood the path. There's one other Dogen quote, uh, which I brought because it comes up all the time. In Bendoa, Dogen writes, or actually he, he quotes his teacher as saying, according to the unmistakably handed down tradition, This Buddha Dharma, which has been singularly and directly transmitted, is supreme beyond comparison. From the time you begin to practice under a teacher, incense burning, bowing, nembutsu, as well as the practices of repentance or of reading the sutras are unnecessary. Simply practice zazen, shikantaza, dropping off body and mind. It's pretty compelling. For a lot of people, uh, this is the central teaching of, of Dogen. Not because he said it over and over again. He didn't. And in fact, here he was quoting his teacher. But I would say because sometimes when we read something like this, we stumble upon something that says exactly what we want it to. And this is a great example. If, if it is not your natural inclination to engage in any other kind of religious activities, and then you find that moment when Dogen says, you don't have to do those things. You just do this one thing, which is the thing you're already doing, which is the thing that probably brought you here in the first place. That text lights up in gold and you tattoo it on your mind. Right? And it's not that we should discard it. But this story, I think, is not about that. And at least it isn't for me. This is a story for me about gaining mind. What Dogen, he he tells this story about the worshipping of these objects. And then he says... He starts talking about gaining merit and he starts talking about gaining enlightenment. The images and relics of the Buddha should be revered since they are the form and bones left by the Tathagata. Nevertheless, it is a false view to think you will be able to gain enlightenment through worshiping them. Such a view will cause you to become possessed by the demon and the poisonous snake. He then goes on to say that there are all sorts of things you can get. You know, you'll you'll uh, he says your faults will disappear actually if you engage in this kind of thing, which is fantastic. If Dogen were here, he and I would have words about this. But but the issue as I see it is that Dogen, at least in his hearing of the story, is imagining that the monk is wanting something, right? He's taking up these practices in, with such a fervor because there's something that he expects or there's something that he thinks can be gained, which is perfectly natural. When Dogen talks about Shikantaza as being the center, I don't believe for a second that he's saying that the only valid spiritual practice is to sit down, because there's literally nothing else in his library worth of writing that suggests that he believes that. But Shikantaza, if it's done according to the instructions, is a non-gaining endeavor, It is the shining example of doing something for nothing, right? And all the language around it is always speaking to that. There's no object of mind. There's no payoff. There's no goal that, in fact, to sit in Shikantaza is to sit without asking for anything in return. So when he says, just do that, he's pointing to a very particular approach, a very particular view. Now, when we bow, when we offer incense, we can offer incense with a hint, or more than a hint, of superstition. <laughs> right. And this can play out in lots of different ways. If it's just you, no one's around and you offer incense, you can have a feeling that you're you're engaged in a kind of transaction, right? You're doing something good and and because you're doing something good, you know, if if you imagine something like uh racquetball maybe, you're you're putting the good thing out with the full expectation that it's going to come back. Right? That's what makes it fun. Racquetball is no good if you just throw the ball and it goes, right? So we have this idea that there's a a little bit of play, right? Even if it isn't something we can name, even if we don't have an idea of something uh, in the form of a deity, even if we don't have an idea of a kind of cosmic consciousness that rewards and doesn't reward, we might have an idea that simply by putting out good, that we generate good, that comes back to us, Mm. right? Or if we're feeling a little more generous, we might have the idea that by putting forth good, that we're generating more good that just goes out. Mm. But it's still us that did it. So we get to go to go to sleep at night with a little grin, knowing about the good, (laughs) knowing that we threw the racquetball really, really hard. There's another way that we can be superstitious about something like this, which is that we can imagine, as we put the incense down, that there's a perfect way to do it. right? This is the disease of a lot of the Zen world because Zen practice tends to be very precise. And we are taught to do things in a very particular way. And especially if you're in a monastery, someone will say, don't do it that way. Do it this way. You're holding your hands wrong. You're holding your arms wrong. You're holding your shoulders wrong. right? And so you get into this this trying to do it right, trying to do it right, trying to do it right. And you forget that trying to do it right is about pouring yourself into a mold. And you start to believe that trying to do it right brings with it a certain kind of morality. So that when you do the incense just right, then in fact, you have lobbed the (laughs) racquetball. Right? This in itself is good. Because it looks good. It's just right. That's a disease. (laughs) But like everything, like with zazen, which we do want something from on day one, it's perfectly natural. It's okay. It's okay that the first time you bow, it's okay that the first time that you bow in front of a Buddha, that you feel the tension around all of these questions. It's OK that you hope that what you're doing is good. Right? But part of the reason that Zen practice is so repetitious, that is so monotonous, is that eventually, you know, whether it's the 10th time or the 100th time or the 100,000th time, you bow or you put that incense in the bowl with no expectation of anything, either because you've simply lost interest in that or because you've actually done the math (laughs) and seen that 99,999 times you put the incense in and nothing particularly good came back. (laughs) So now you get it. (laughs) And in the same way, we sit and we face a wall That's not a random part of this design, right? There's no special thing in front of you. There's no change of scenery. So that if you sit zazen here, and then you go to Turkey, and you do it in your hotel room, and then you go to Tierra del Fuego, and you do it there, you're always still just facing a wall. There's no payoff. (laughs) You never get to face the more beautiful wall. You never get to see the show. It's the same wall. And eventually, after traveling the whole world, maybe, you find that there's a way to sit with no expectation. And in the moment that you do that, In the moment that you sit down and you ask for nothing in return, for the first time, it becomes vast. Because up until that moment, the whole time you were looking at it like this, right? Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for that thing to come into your field of vision. In that moment of giving up, when you say nothing, it's never going to show up. It's never going to come into my field of vision. Suddenly, your field of vision is this big. So, oh. When you bow and you want somehow for the world to bow back, then according to this story, as you reach the ground, you're met with a snake. If you offer incense and you want to be enveloped in the scent of goodness, what you see just as you put it down is that snake. It's waiting all the time, all the time. It's always been waiting. It's always been there. What's remarkable about this story is that this monk, he'd opened the box a thousand times before that, right? He was always opening the box. For whatever reason, in this moment, he was finally ready to see the snake. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit ZenNovaScotia.com.